Once upon a time, uh, I was a camp counselor. For uh, a few years, I worked during the summers at a day camp for students, and I started as a junior counselor and eventually worked my way up to being a full counselor for kindergartens, but uh, I kind of repressed this memory up until last week when we started talking about archery, and I went, why do I have some memories of teaching kids archery? And the reason is because for a couple summers, as I was going around as a junior camp counselor and a senior camp counselor, we got to go to our mini stations, and one of them was, of course, archery. Now, I don't know if you've ever witnessed kids learning archery for the first time at a very young age, but if you can imagine a dog eating ice cream, that's about the best comparison that I can give you, right? None of the mechanics work. They're way too excited. They're all wobbly. They can't hold the bow, let alone knock an arrow. And if you can imagine two high schoolers trying to teach and wrangle eight kindergartners into figuring out how to fire a bow and arrow, uh, that's the best image that I can give you, right? If they would knock an arrow and even let it fly minimally forward, we considered that a huge success, right? It had no chance of making it to the target, and even if it happened to fly that far, it didn't have nearly enough force to stick to anything. So it was definitely an exercise in futility, or perhaps I'm just not good at teaching archery to kindergarten. Regardless, we're on week two uh, of our series, Arrows. We've been talking about this scripture in Psalm 127 and this idea that children are like arrows in our quiver. We've got a fun acronym that we've been walking through. And so last week we talked about our aim, right? What's the goal as a parent? What's the target? What's the bullseye? We let Jesus define that for us in Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, and said that really the, the aim, the target, the goal of our parenting is eternity. Now then, we took some space, and I challenged you to sit down with your kids and as a spouse and have a conversation about, is that our goal together? And how do we situate our lives in such a way that we're leading into that target, that that's our aim, that the actions that we're taking are leading us to hit that goal? How'd that conversation go? I'd still love to hear back from you about what you're deciding for family rhythms, family mantras. What are those conversations like for you? And if you're inviting your kids into there, what are some things that you're putting in as goals, as markers, as you intend to live towards the target? So that was A, and today we're continuing in our fun little acronym. The R in ARROWS stands for RELEASE. RELEASE. And we'll use this as kind of our operating statement today, that the point of parenting is the release. The point of parenting is the release, right? Once we've taken aim, once we have our shot lined up, we've got our stance firm and secure, we know the objective that we're trying to reach, as we talked about last week, everything goes into the before, and then there's a moment where we let go, where we let it fly, where the arrow moves on towards the target. And it's critical for us as we use this analogy to talk about parenting to recognize that, that this is the goal that we're building up towards, to begin our parenting journey with the end in mind, to recognize that what we're building up to, that the point of this parenting journey is the release of our children to fly on the path and journey that God has called them towards, ultimately hitting 
the target. Now, parenting is a propulsion system, not a prison. Right? Proverbs 22.6 would say it this way. Train up a child in the way that he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. Right? Parenting is a training ground for our children to be moving on their own. And while it can feel like a prison for us at times, the goal is that it would be far more like a propulsion lab. Think the Kennedy Space Center versus San Quentin. Right At a jet propulsion lab, everything is geared towards finding ways to move forward, to launch the rocket successfully, to deliver its cargo, to accomplish its mission. A prison is by far the opposite. They're worried about containment, making sure nothing goes out and nothing comes in that isn't supposed to. Right? If you work at a prison, your, your job might be to keep people safe. Make sure no one in or out. Make sure nothing unsafe happens. Ensure that all the rules are kept. You are after maintenance and stability. If you work at a propulsion lab, though, you're all about innovation and creativity, finding new and better ways to keep on track and to accomplish the goal of a successful launch, right? Parenting can feel like a prison at times, but it's more our approach that I'm talking about. If your highest goal as a parent is to keep your little baby a little baby as long as possible, if safety and a pristine environment are your highest concerns, you might not be ready for the release when it comes. If you're focused on protection and helicoptering and don't climb that and he can't have that because he gets gassy, he forgot to take out the trash, I'll just do it for him, you may not be starting with the end in mind. Now, don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying that safety isn't important, especially the younger that our children are, but both the Kennedy Space Center and prison have guards and locks and security systems. The difference is their approach, right? In a prison, it's meant to keep people in, to keep them from escaping. But at the Kennedy Space Center, it's to preserve the success and protect the launch. It's to make sure that it's effective, it's to make sure that an alligator doesn't sneak onto the launch pad and mess up the entire launch of this massive rocket system. Right? That's a true story. It actually happened. And for our analogy, alligators uh, are the first boyfriend or girlfriend. Right? That's what we're trying to keep away so the rocket doesn't go off course. Right? Regardless, the, the point of our parenting is the eventual release of our children. We have to keep them at the center of our focus to begin with that end in mind. Not to push and contain and simply maintain a safe environment, but to actually propel our kids to reach the heights that God has called them towards. Now, the shadow side of this approach in our parenting, the other side of the coin, if you have it, has to do with the focus and aim of our children in our family structure and lives. The easiest way I can say that is this way, that children are meant to go, but your marriage is meant to stay. Genesis 3.24 is the most famous passage on this. I'm sure you know it. That is why when a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, they become one flesh. 
Right now, don't miss this. When, when we have kids and our lives begin to change, so often the focal point of our lives shifts off of this person that we've chosen to spend the rest of our lives with to the safety, the maintenance, the care, the rearing, the release of our children, right? As babies, we fawn and fuss over every noise and then comes school and sports and friends and birthday parties and opportunities and soon our lives are dominated by our kids' schedules and we've all seen the story of as soon as the kids turn 18, mom and dad are strangers instead of lovers, and that never ends well. Listen, if the point of our parenting is the eventual release of our children, then kids are designed, are supposed to, are God-ordained to go, to leave, to fly, to leave the home of their father and mother. And the marriage, your relationship with your spouse, is meant to stay. The best thing that you can do for the success and happiness and example for your child's eventual marriage themselves is to have a rockin' marriage yourself. Where they see that mommy and daddy love each other, right? Maybe too much sometimes. That's gross, mom. Sick, dad. But if you want their marriage to be a success, number one, you better let them leave and cleave. And number two, you'd better make sure that the picture of marriage that they see in you is one that you would have them live out in their future relationships. Otherwise, where do you expect them to learn what a God-honoring, in-love marriage looks like? Right? The, the order of our relationships is well established in Scripture. You already know it by heart. It's God first, our spouse is the second closest relationship to us, and third would be our kids before the other relationships that we manage in the world. Far too often, though, that script is completely flipped. We give our first, our best time to our children. We don't want to mess that up. We give whatever energy and time and sustenance that we have left to maintain our marriage as long as we can, and we give God whatever energy we often have at the end. Is it any wonder that we find ourselves stretched a little bit too thin, running a little bit ragged as we try to balance all of these pieces together? Here's a real simple evaluation tool, right? Love is spelled how? Trick question, I know. T-I-M-E. Right? So of those three significant categories, how much time does each get? It's certainly not even, right? 30, 30, 30. You know that's not true, nor is it actionable. So if the goal isn't for everything to be equal, then certainly it's about the quality, not the quantity, of the time that we spend. How do we spend our time and priority-wise, first, second, and third? Right? Does sports practice beat out date night consistently? Does a weekend tournament trump a vacation between you and your spouse? On that note, when's the last time that you got away for a vacation away from kids with only your spouse? Does work matter more than all of those things put together? Where does church or small group or devotion fall into these categories? I know the world is crazy right now with COVID, but that shouldn't change our relationship, the time that we spend, the quality of time that we put into our relationship with that that is most important too. The order matters. 
And if you want a marriage that is intact when your kids fly from the nest, then you'd better be investing into it now. And if you want heaven to feel like a homecoming, then you'd better be investing in activities that are mirroring what is going to go on for eternity, lest you arrive and it doesn't feel like home, but it feels like a strange and foreign place. The order and investment of our time is critically important. So when it comes to our parenting journey, we have to begin with the end in mind. We have to recognize that this is meant to be a propulsion system, not just a maintenance prison for our family. Because the kids are meant to go, but your marriage is meant to stay. The second thing about a release is that we want the release to be clean, unencumbered, nothing to get in the way. Uh, Wiki Howe had a quick lesson on archery, and on the release, here's what it says. It says, release the arrow by relaxing the fingers on your string hand. The goal is to get a clean release, meaning the bow leaves your fingers with as little slowdown and interference as possible. While this may sound simple, the manner in which you release your fingers from the bowstring can impact the arrow's flight, and any unintended flinches or wobbles can knock it off course. When it comes to the release, everything of the preparation goes into it, but one simple wobble can knock the arrow off course from its target. And distractions are everywhere. And so it's our job to prepare for that eventual release by removing distractions, by being firm in our stance, and making sure that when the time comes, we're ready to make a shot that counts. That everything that we have for a successful shot is present before we release our fingers off of that string. So at that critical moment of release, any deviation from the plan, any sideways energy is enough to dislodge all the work and preparation that we put in up to that moment. So as I think back over those camp students that I would try to instruct on how to fire an arrow, let's see if I learned anything about teaching archery. So if you want to make a clean release, first off, don't force it. Don't force it. I wish I could find an image of this. I looked, but I can't. But when kids would go up to the arrow and they would get to the point of releasing the arrow, there would be an almost leaning forward. They would try to jar the arrow forward with their movement as if the push of their body forward is what propelled the arrow, not the string that was being pulled back. Again, they don't have a fundamental understanding of the mechanics involved, and so they thought they could push the arrow instead of firing it. They thought they could force the arrow to move forward instead of just releasing the tension and allowing natural courses to happen. So in our parenting, don't force it. Trust the process. It will take time to teach and time to listen. There's time for conversation, but there's also time to sit back and reflect and see how things plan out. Sometimes we get so focused on doing it right, on making sure that we achieve all the objectives, that we get the A's and the scholarship and the involvement and the friendships and they get into the college, that we miss the point of our parenting, the aim of our parenting, which is what we talked about last week, that the target is eternity. Don't force the shot by focusing so intensely on the success in the wrong areas. Keep your mind oriented to the larger picture and don't try to push the arrow. Instead, trust the process that it will fly straight in the direction that you've been preparing to fire it in. 
Uh, secondly, right, don't force it, but also don't drop it. I couldn't think of a better word, but when kids would notch their arrows, again, they're off balance and they're all wobbly, and the arrow would tend to pivot away. They were holding it at the string, but it would fall off of the bow, and so it would have to be kind of pulled back in. So you can't drop the arrow. You've got to keep it balanced and centered and focused. Now, while we can't manage the areas of our parenting exclusively, we can be prepared to ensure that we don't let the arrow drift out of the notch that we have it set in. So here's what I mean by that. It means that it takes intentionality to parent our kids through the ups and downs of their journey before, during, and after the release. This means daddy-daughter dates, mom-son dates, where we teach our children how to behave in front of someone of the opposite gender. We treat them with the expectation is for how another person ought to be treating them. This also creates intentional time for conversations, where it's one-on-one -on -one time between you and your child, where they're your focus. There's nothing on TV, there's nothing to distract, the cell phones are put away, and we can just have a moment of quality time to hear what's ticking, what's forming, and to have input into the hearts of our children. So there's intentionality that has to happen so we don't drop the arrow. There's also rhythm that needs to happen. There's the focused movement that happens regularly so that you learn how the arrow is supposed to rest. So by that I mean that there should be regular rhythms that come up where you have opportunity to listen and to talk and to hear about critical areas. In our household, this is always the second after I say amen to the bedtime prayers. We're praying amen and instantly I hear, um, dad? Usually that's followed by Asher asking for donuts the next morning for breakfast, 90% of the time. But sometimes there's a moment where they ask a question about their day, where they want to talk about something their friends did or something that hurt them. They want to talk about the future. They want to talk about God. They want to talk about something that's critically important. I'd like to think that it's because we've created a sacred space where they know they have my undivided attention because there's no cell phones, there's nothing on the agenda to get to, and so they often take advantage of that opportunity to have the deeper questions of life be answered. It doesn't have to be after bedtime prayers. It can be at the dinner table. It can be in the car on the way to or from school. It can be an ice cream spot going shopping. Intentional, focused time mixed with regular rhythms and space for opportunities for our kids to ask us questions will ensure that we don't drop the shot or the moment that we have. So don't force it, but also don't drop it. Again, the other thing to put in here is don't, don't clutch the arrow too tightly. Right? As kids would grab onto the string, they'd hold onto it with all their might, and then when they'd try to release, all their sticky fingers from the peanut butter and jelly sandwiches would hold onto the string. Not to mention that they wouldn't release it cleanly, it would be all fingers, and it would make, <laughs> it would make their arrow go every single direction. So if you want your arrow to fly straight, to leave unencumbered and hit the target, don't clutch it too tightly. I hate to call anyone out, but Moms, I think this tends to be something that comes up in your relationships, especially with your baby, especially with the first child or the last child or whatever it is. There's this moment of clutching, of holding on, of wanting the baby to stay the baby. 
Sometimes it even comes out as Gollum, right? This is my precious and nothing can affect or get involved to. It may look like helicopter parenting or it may look like being overprotective. And again, this is all birthed out of love and care and wanting the absolute best for your child. And I understand and I affirm that. But the goal of your parenting isn't to clutch. It's to release. And to make a clean release means that you have to be starting with that from the beginning. Dads, we're not off the hook either, especially if it's your baby girl or any of those types of things. We tend to get overprotective. We tend to over-systematize. We tend to overdo and over-provide, and that can lead to our children not being prepared to enter the world that they're about to enter into. We can't take the journey for them. We can only prepare them for the journey that they have to take, and that's why the release is critically important for that. And when we don't prepare our kids for our release, for the flight that they have to take to arrive at eternity, then ultimately we've failed them as parents and on our parenting journey. So don't force it, but also don't drop it. Don't clutch it too tight, but you can probably already tell what the next point is. You can't hold it too loosely either. If we don't train up our child in the way that they ought to live for eternity, others will be happy to fill in that gap. Never has this been more of a pressing, dangerous, or tangible issue than today in our generation, right? Where babies are born with an iPad in their hands. They can navigate Netflix before they can even talk. And that's not bad parenting. That's just the world that we live in. But never before has a child had the world at their fingertips at so early an age. And and I get it. You've got to have a cell phone so that you know where your kids are. This is just how the world works today. But if we hold on to that too loosely, if we give them too much freedom before they're able to handle it, then we will drop the arrow before it is released properly. The ideas, the things that are out there on social media aren't all bad, but they certainly aren't all good. And they definitely don't have the target in mind that we have in mind that God has placed before us as parents. More than any other time in history, kids are getting answers to life's most basic questions from a source other than their parents. That's not how God intended it. And kids are far more comfortable Googling the answer to a tough question than they are having a tough conversation with a parent, especially one who maybe isn't present at all the times that they've needed them to be. As with anything in life, parenting is an art. That's why we're talking about all these sides of the issue. Don't force it. Don't drop it. Don't hold it too tightly, but also not too loosely, right? It's all sides of this. There's a balance to what we're being asked to do as parents. Perhaps the best illustration of this would be the clutch on a car, right? You've got the gas, you've got the brake, and then you've got the clutch to be able to shift gears. And if you don't navigate the pressure on all of those pedals equally and with the right amount of force, then the car will stall or at least be jumpy as it drives forward. It might not be propelled correctly. And all of these parenting issues, in order to arrive safely, we have to navigate those systems with intentionality. And each car is different, right? No arrow is the same. What worked for your first child might not work for your second or third child. And so you've got to be learning and growing on the fly with this. But the point of our parenting is the 
release. So as difficult as it is and as hard as it is to manage all of these tensions, we have to learn it and get good at it and apply it. And that's kind of the final point for making a clean release is that no matter how stressful it is, you can't aim forever. Eventually, there's the perfect balance where you're free and you have to release the arrow and make your best shot. We can take all the time that we want to planning and preparing and insulating and making sure that everything is going to happen just so, but the bottom line is, as a parent, eventually we just have to take the shot that God has given us with our kids. To not be paralyzed, to worry if we're doing it right, and so stop our child from advancing. We have to allow them to move into the space of increasing freedom, of increasing growth, and increasingly following after the plan and path that God has laid out for them. See, because release happens in a moment, but it's built off of hundreds of moments that happen before that. Hundreds of decisions, hundreds of actions, hundreds of responses go into that one opportunity to where release is finally had on the arrow. Dave Ramsey tells a a great story in a book that he co-authored with his daughter about their parenting relationship and their parenting journey. He uses the illustration of a rope and how he'd give his kids enough rope until they started misbehaving, until they started missing it, and then he'd take back in the rope, right? It's the proverbial, give them enough enough rope to hang themselves, only it's kids, so we can't say that. But you give your kids enough rope until they start making some bad decisions, then you pull them back in, rein them in a little bit, and then as they demonstrate learning and growth and understanding, you give them a little bit more freedom, a little bit more rope, a little bit more until bedtime, a little bit looser restrictions, those types of things. So some highlights from the story, right? One time his daughter asked to go to a movie. Who's going? What movie? Okay, fine. I'll drop you off and pick you up. Except that Susan didn't want to go to the movie. She decided they should instead skip the movie and go out for ice cream. You know what happens, right? Mom shows up to pick them up from the movie. They're nowhere in sight. Eventually, she gets back in the car and they have a hard conversation because the deal isn't ice cream, right? But you're going to lose some rope. Really, Mom? Just because I went to go get ice cream? No, because you made a choice. I gave you freedom and permission to go to the movie with your friends, and instead of calling and asking permission, you made a poor decision, and there's consequences for that. So next time you go to the movies, guess who's coming? Dear old dad, right? That's the consequence. That's the reining back in of the rope. All right, fast forward. There's a party going on. Hey, can I go to the party? Who's going to be there? What are we going to be doing? What's the time like? Okay, go ahead. You've got enough rope for that. Go to the party, people are hanging out, it's fun, but then somebody cracks open a case of beer. Daughter comes home a little bit early, dad goes, hey, what's up, why are you home so early? I thought you were going to be there till this time. Yeah, somebody, somebody brought some beer and I didn't feel like it was a good environment for me. Okay, you get all the rope, right? All the rope comes off the spool, you've earned it, you've got the freedom, we did it, right? Mission accomplished. So he tells the story that on her last night before leaving for college, he brings out this giant spool of rope. And there's bows attached at different stages of the rope. And as he starts unraveling it, he begins telling stories of times where they had to bring back in the rope and times where they got to let the rope out. Moments of failure, moments of success all along this parenting journey. Eventually, he gets to the end of the spool, the rope comes off, and 
he's able to go, look, your mom and I have done our best to parent you. We've tried to give you enough rope so that when you get to this moment, you're going off to college and the rope won't go 250 miles down the road. You'll be on your own for the first time. It's our hope. It's been our privilege. It's been the point of our parenting to get you to this moment that you would be equipped to take the next step on your own. I'm like tearing up just talking about that, right? Talk about a release. Talk about like a parenting done right. Wow, can you imagine? The point of our parenting is that moment, is the release, is setting them up for success. Not to keep them in our house forever, safe and protected, but not to give them too much freedom so they get into trouble too early on. It's that sweet spot right in the middle. Just enough gas, just enough brake, just enough clutch to have a successful release of the arrow that God has entrusted to us. Right? Because the bottom line is that what parenting teaches us is that this is about stewardship. God is actually the owner of our children, but he entrusts them to us. He is the one who the children belong to. They're ultimately his, but he gives us the opportunity to be involved in the process, to steward, to shepherd, to lead them in the way that they should go. Now, there's a difference between an owner and a steward, right? You own your house. So if you want to do a remodeling project, it's all on you. You want to remodel the bathroom? Go for it. That's your prerogative. If you're going out of town for the week and you ask me to watch your house, that's bad decision, number one. But number two, if you come back to a remodeling project because I thought I could help out, that's a problem. Because I was a steward. You entrusted me for a time to do a task. I was not the property owner. With our kids, sometimes we forget that we're placeholders, that we're stewards, that God has a plan and a trajectory for their life, and that we've been called upon to influence, to be the one who set them up in the way that they should go. Really, this is our entire lives. All that we have, Scripture says, is a gift to us from God. The job that we have, the relationships that we have, the money that we have, the privileges that we have are all gifts given to us from God. And eventually we stand before God and have to give an account for the things that he's entrusted to us as the owner. Jesus tells parables and stories about this and people who are good stewards get a good steward's reward. People who are bad stewards get called wicked and lazy and it is not good for them. When it comes to our life, to this parenting journey, to this side of eternity, we're entrusted with the resources that God gives to us to live towards the target for ourselves, for our children, for the people that we lead and come in contact with. But we're stewards, not owners, and that should be imperative in the way that we lead and talk and guide and, yes, of course, parent. So, parents, this isn't easy. It's an incredibly difficult task that you've been entrusted with to steward God's children towards the target. But they're arrows in your quiver, but they ultimately belong to him. And your job is to equip them, to give them the best possible release so that they can fly towards the target that God has called them towards, which is an art form. You've got to learn it. You've got to practice it. You've got to try it over and over again. Not too tight, not too loose. It's going to drift that way. I've got to make sure my feet are planted. It's a process that repeats itself over and over, but ultimately culminates in one 
opportunity to let them fly, to let your marriage stay and stay strong, and to have the opportunity to steward all that God has given you. So in your family, as you continue these conversations this week, my challenge to you would be to ask and analyze and listen through that lens. What's propelling you, right? What's holding you back? How are you preparing for the release of your children into God's hands? It's a tough assignment. Nobody's saying it isn't. But all of scripture affirms that the reason that you have the child or children that you have is because God trusts you to shepherd, to steward, to care, to provide them the best possible opportunity to live the best life that God has for them. It's a big job, but you are equipped for it. God chose you as their parent, chose you to be the one to lead them. This is your task, and you can do it. So, as you pray, as you plan, as you think through this week, how are you preparing for the release? God's with you in this. I'm with you in this. We're excited to be able to come back together in a couple weeks. I hope you have a great week, and I'd love to hear the conversations that you're having in your families surrounding these conversations. Be blessed this week.